Glory to his name. Ephesians chapter 5. Thank you. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading from verse 21. You had a head start, so you got to give me a moment. When you got it, say so. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. And the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, nor but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, we thank you so much for your word that is truth today. We thank you for the very privilege that we have to be before you, to be in your presence, my God. We thank you for your word that is inspired, and we ask you today, Spirit of God, to speak to us, Lord God. I ask you, Lord, to give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. I pray, Lord God, that we would not be idle hearers of your word, that we would be faithful doers, that we would respond in faith to you, Lord God, believing that whatever you command us to do, Heavenly Father, whatever you call us to do, you empower us to do. And so we thank you for this, Lord God. I pray your blessing. I pray that you use me. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so if you do not have an outline, it is important to me that you get one. So if you don't have an outline, just raise your hand really quickly so that the ushers can get you one. Please raise your hand. Those outlines are for us who participate in Connect. Connect is our life groups, and there are small groups that meet weekly, and what we do is we get together, we break bread together, have, meal, have a meal together, and then we also discuss the sermon. We go over the notes that you'll be taking here today, and we discuss them, and now we're able to challenge, our, challenge each other in our faith, and we're able to grow, and so that is our hope, is that as you hear the message, that you will not just hear it here and then leave, but that you will also look into the Word of God, look into the Scriptures, continue to meditate on those things and that you will connect with brothers and sisters who are being challenged in their faith in the same way. And so that is our goal. And so if you are not part of a connect group, I think you should still have an outline so you can follow along with us a little bit and you can take notes and you also have the opportunity to be part of connect. Pastor Chad, who was the one who led communion, he is the leader or the coordinator of our connect groups. And so we want you to meet him and um, talk to him if you want to get into a connect group. And so as we are continuing on in your outline, you can follow along with me here. Um, we're talking about where we're going through chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we have been called to imitate God. We remember that chapter 5 began with, therefore, be imitators of God. Dear children, be imitators of God. And so this for us is extremely important, right? That we see what the scriptures teach. And so we talked about three specific things already. The first one was that we imitate God in love. Say in love. We imitate him in love. And then, we, and then the second thing we talked about is we imitate God in light. Say, in light. And so we imitate God by the way that we love. We imitate God by being loving. We imitate God by being light bearers, those who bear the light of the gospel in our lives before those who do not know Jesus and even before those who do. And then last week, Pastor Aldo, he came and he talked about us imitating God in wisdom. Say, in wisdom. 
And so in the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we, the way that we react with the things that we do, we are to walk in wisdom as God is all-wise, all-knowing, and Jesus is the truth, and he is declared to be the very wisdom of God. And so we live those lives for the glory and honor of Jesus. And here's the bottom line. If we truly desire to walk worthy of the calling, of our calling in Christ, we must fully commit ourselves to being imitators of God. The title of the series is Walk Worthy, and our memory verse, we won't go over today, but our memory verse is found in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, where it talks about us walking worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus. And so everything that we know about the gospel is not just for us to gain head knowledge, the same way that for you to be here this morning to hear the preaching of the Word of God, it's not so you gain more knowledge about the Scriptures, it is not so that way you gain more knowledge about life, but it is so that way you live your life according to the truth that you are receiving. It makes no sense for someone to learn a bunch of stuff and never apply it. And so what the apostle does in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is he goes through those indicatives of the gospel, those beautiful things that Jesus did, what Jesus did by, by dying for us on the cross, how he made us new and how he brought us to life from being dead. And so we live out of that place. And so what we find is, continuing on in the outline there, the apostle Paul transitions into the area that our imitation of God will be expressed most clearly, our relationships. And I put express there, and I was going to put proven or tested, because the truth of the matter is we can talk about all day long that we're imitators of God, but when we interact with one another, that is when the real test comes. When we deal with one another, when we are let down by people, when we are hurt by people, when people have expectations of us, when those things occur is when our imitation of God is really put to the test. And so God calls us to be imitators, and the Apostle Paul transitions here, and that way we can look at our relationships and how our knowledge of the gospel, how our understanding of holiness, as he did, dealt with that in chapter 4, and what, what it really means to be a Christian in those areas, and what's holy, what's not, and in the beginning of chapter 5, talking about walking according to certain principles, then he brings it down, and he says, okay, this is where this is going to be lived out, and it is going to be in our relationships, how we interact with one another another is a clear witness to the work of the gospel in our lives. The way we interact in our relationships and all of the relationships that we'll talk about today, the primary relationship that we will deal with is that of marriage. And so continuing here, the fear of the Lord is foundational to our mutual submission and our natural relationships. It is the fear of God. And what does that mean when he says here in verse 21, if you look at it, it said, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And so what he's saying is that relationally, we are supposed to submit one to another. It is not just that, and we're going to get to the big idea here, but it is not just that it is one dimensional for our submission, but we should relationally submit to one another. But he says so to do it out of what? Out of the fear of God or the fear of Christ. And when it talks about that, what it means here is this. It is that out of reverence for Jesus, it is by me recognizing Jesus in my brother Frank that I can hear from him and I can receive from him and I can you know, interact with him in a way that is God-honoring. It is because I see the Jesus and my brother Ozzy because I know the Christ that is there. It is out of reverence for Christ that we submit one to another that we yield to one another, that we love one another, that we care for one another. And so Paul's important point is this, and I think that this is extremely important for us to get, is that in each of these sets of relationships, listen to this now, the one in authority is to be submissive to the needs of those under him, and those in submission are to be subject to the authority of the one over him. So let's flesh that out. For example, the wife is to be subject to the authority of her husband, but her husband is to be subject to the needs of the wife. So it's not just one dimensional, well, wives just submit. Well, wait a second, we're supposed to have this mutual submission. Mutual submission does not mean, and I'll clarify this now and maybe I'll do it again later, but just in case I forget, mutual submission does not mean that the husband takes the back seat and that the wife leads. That's not biblical. 
It's not biblical truth. You don't just say, hey, well, I'm supposed to submit to others in Christ. And so it's real easy to take a back seat. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And so we see that in the, in the husband-wife relationship. Another example is this. Children are to be subject to the authority of their parents, but parents are to be subject to the needs of their children. Next relationship that we'll deal with in here, it's going to use the word slaves. Obviously, we're not going to talk about slaves because that's not something, that's something that was abolished. That's something that we don't do. But we do have employees and employers, right? Sometimes it feels like slave relationships. Hello. I'm just saying, right? And so slaves are to be subject to the authority of their masters, but masters are to be subject to the needs of their slaves. And so what we see here in the verses that we'll go over today is two roles in one model. And as each of us play our role, we will see the model manifested. Two roles in one model. And so what we'll look at is what the Bible teaches. And so role number one, the first thing, say this with me. Role one, wives, submit as to, say that again, as to the Lord. Role one is wives, submit as to the Lord. Now let me say this. One of the most misused words in the Bible is that of submission, not because it is wrongly defined, but because it is wrongly intended. It's not because it's not the right definition, it is because it is wrongly intended. Let me tell you something that I've learned about this word submission, and, 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 I, and, and I have my own uh, submission story that, I, that I, I might share with you in a moment, but here's the thing. Submission should bring security to the one submitting, and it should bring great trembling to the one being submitted to. Did you hear me? Submission should bring security to the one who is submitting. I should feel, if I'm the one that's in submission, in my, if, if I'm dealing with my relationship and my marriage, the wife should feel secure submitting to her husband. Are you here? The wife should feel, you see, and, but that's the reason why there's so much tension because of the misuse of the word. And so what should happen is, is that there should be great, that there should be great security for that wife knowing what? That she has a godly, loving leader, right? I'm going to call you a Christ-like lover leader. That's what men are supposed to be. Christ-like lover leaders, okay? And so uh, she should feel secure in that. She shouldn't feel fearful. She should know that she's protected, that she's cared for, that she's cherished. But something else should happen. The one who is being submitted to, you should be trembling. Because when you are being, when you are being given the right to be submitted to, man, you have great responsibility. You have great responsibility. And listen, it's not about just responsibility in this earth. It is about responsibility before God Almighty. You see, when God says to me, you know, your wife is going to submit to you, I tremble because I know, man, I need to honor God with that authority that he has given me. I need to make sure that I'm ministering over here it's to my wife's needs. And so sadly, the term you need to submit is mostly used to control, intimidate, or silence a person or group. So in our culture, in our days, we don't like to talk about submission. I can tell you personally, one of the, one of the biggest things, I've been, I've been in meetings, I've been in conversations, and I can count on one hand in 12 years how many times I've told people, you need to submit to me. Now, I may use more hands to tell, tell you how many times I had a conversation with other people talking about other people that were in leadership and be like, you need to submit to them. That's a totally different story. But see, for me, what I understand is, you know what? If I have to remind you all the time that you got to submit, either you have a problem or I have a problem. One of us has a problem. But it's not going to be fixed by a constant reminder of, hey, you need to submit. You need to submit. I'm to this. I'm to that. No, no, no. no. Time out. Time out. Relationships should operate in a way to where we can function together, where we are submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, where we are honoring God and loving God. And so we don't want to misuse this term. And so what does the word submit mean? Let's look at the definition so we have the right definition and the way that it plays out. Well, it is the Greek word, and it is the Greek word, hupotasso, is the, is the actual word for submit or, to, or, or to, to, to subject yourself. It's translated both ways here. And it means this. It means to arrange under, to subordinate to subject, to put in subjection, to subject oneself to or to obey. It means to submit to one's control. It means to yield to one's admonition or advice. It means to obey or to subject. Now, all of that means, and you, and you heard it all throughout there, it's about submission. It's about surrender. It's about arranging yourself under. And so additionally, it is a Greek term, and there's two ways that it's used in the Greek. One of them is in a military sense, and the other one is, is, is in a non-military sense. And so in the military sense, it means this. It means to arrange in a military fashion under the command of a leader. 
And so our military is set up for submission. There are certain positions, there is hierarchy in our military, and you know, there's certain people in certain positions, and you don't go beyond that. You do what you're told from your position where you're at, and that's the way that it flows, and things will work out nicely if everybody does that. Can I tell you something? Your marriage is not the military. <laughs> My marriage is not the military. I would like for it to be. Last night we were joking. We were, that we, we, we were, I was folding clothes. I do that, right? I love, I, I enjoy that. I had a lot of clothes to fold, by the way. And so we're folding clothes. And I am, I'm really, the reason, I'm going to tell you something. I don't fold clothes I'm such a great servant. I fold clothes because I'm real picky. Right? Even though I wasn't in the military, sometimes I think I might have been. And, you know, anyway, I don't believe in reincarnation, but maybe another life. <laughs> But I was in the military. It was called Jennifer Quinones Military, right? That's my mom, right? I was in her military as a child growing up, and she showed me the correct way to fold. Amen, somebody. And, and I want you to realize this. I didn't get the lesson until I moved out. I'm just saying, right? Because in my, when I was a child, in my, I'll never forget this. When I was a child in my mom's house, I remember my drawers were were crazy. I, I would, I mean, I was like pushing stuff in drawers. Drawers were breaking in the bottom because, you know, we weren't rich. We didn't have all that expensive stuff. So stuff was breaking. I'm trying to open drawers. Don't want to open because clothing is like popping up. It, it, was, it, it was a mess. I, I never applied the principles. My mom used to fold the clothes amazingly. She would put them in the drawers and then I would mess them up. And so when I grew up, right, and then I realized, wow, I have this much space and I have all these clothing, and you know what? The only way all these clothing are going to fit in this space is if I fold them the right way. That was amazing. Glory to God. I thank God for that, for that wisdom that my mom imparted to me. And so anyway, we're sitting on, on the bed last night. I know y'all thought I forgot my story. I didn't forget it, but here's what happened. You know, I'm, I'm not sitting on the bed. I'm standing on the side of the bed, folding all these clothes, and I have all these piles of clothes. And now I'm really, I'm bad when it comes to folding clothes. Like, don't touch the clothing. Don't knock them over. I have them, they're set up a certain way. My son doesn't understand that rule yet, right? He doesn't, he doesn't get that concept. And so my daughter's in the middle of the bed, you know, because we're, we're watching the TV. My wife and son are over there. And my son, I don't know how, but he somehow, he slipped away from my wife. My wife and daughter were looking on the iPad to find something. And my son is crawling over to the clothing. And I'm like, do you not know the rules? Do you not understand? And my wife's like, is there another rule? And so she's being funny, right? You know, she, she, she's, she's like, yes, okay, just make up rules. And then she told me, she's like, well, I'm going to start making up my own rules. I said, glory to God. We're going to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. And so ultimately, the point is, my marriage is not the military, right? You know, people don't just, just, just everything is not perfect in my home. I mean, that's just the bottom line. But here's the thing. In the non-military sense, let's talk about what that means. Because it's one thing in a military sense, like, this is how it needs to be. This is what's supposed to happen. In the non-military sense, it means this. It mean, and I've read this definition before, and I hope that someone is taking some notes so they understand whether you're, you know, whoever you are, that you realize, because every one of us, say every one of us, it's called to submit in some area of our life. You don't have to repeat that part. But all of us is called to submit in some area in our life. And unless you're in the military, realistically, then here's the deal. The deal is that this first one is not, not going to apply. The second part of the definition is going to apply. And it is this, it is that we, it, it is a voluntary attitude of giving in, a voluntary attitude of cooperating, a voluntary attitude of assuming responsibility, and a voluntary attitude of carrying a burden. So when we talk about wives submitting, right, in this scenario, in this context, he is saying wives have a voluntary attitude of giving in. Notice he says voluntary. Submission is like accountability. It's, it cannot be taken. It must be offered. I can't make you accountable to me. Listen, we can sit down in an office and I can ask you 100 questions, but if you're going to sit there and lie, are you really being accountable? No. It's the same thing with submission. You can go ahead and say, well, I have to do this, but you know what? My heart is in a different place. Please understand this. Submission is a heart issue. It's not just about doing things. It's not that. See, God wants our heart. He wants our attitude. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's about us. It's about us going above and beyond just the commandments of God on the external sphere, but us to enter into looking into the condition of our hearts. And submission deals with the heart. So we voluntarily give in. We voluntarily cooperate. We voluntarily assume responsibility, and we voluntarily carry a burden. 
In marriage, that's what happens, right? There are situations that are there. One person said something. He thought he was being funny. I thought it was funny. But he was saying marriage is a tough institution. (laughs) So there are some burdens in marriage, right? There are some difficulties in marriage. It's not always easy, you know? I think that some people think that marriage is just easy. It's not easy. God wouldn't have to give you any commands for marriage if it was just easy. Think about it. I want you to think about in your life how many things God didn't have to instruct you on, right? It's how many things that just come natural, like breathing. He didn't say breathe in, breathe out. That was, you know, Mr. Miyagi, right? I'm just saying, right? He wasn't, he, he was, you know, he was, he was, he, he didn't tell you, you know, you have to do this. He didn't have to tell you much about eating. He gave you some dietary laws so that way you would know what was healthy and what was not. But he didn't have to tell you how to eat, right? I mean, that's something, there's things that just come naturally, But in marriage, we needed some commands. So the first one that he gives, and I don't know why he starts off with the woman, but he does. He starts off there and he says that the woman is supposed to what? She is supposed to submit. And what he gives her three reasons. He gives her three reasons why she should be submissive. A wife is called to walk in submission to her husband for three reasons. The first one is this, because it is unto the Lord. If there's one thing that I think every woman needs to grasp when it comes to the issue of submission in marriage, it is this, is that you are submitting to your husband for sure, but you are submitting unto the Lord ultimately. You are submitting unto God ultimately. You are submitting unto his lordship. You are sub- when you yield submission to your spouse, you are worshiping your Lord and your Savior. You are worshiping your God. You are enthroning him, and you are saying, I trust you with my life. My husband's not perfect, but I trust you. I trust you. And so we do that because that's the first reason. The second reason that he gives is because he says what? He says that the man is the head. What does that mean? It means that he is the leader. He is the one who's supposed to go before. And so you do it unto the Lord, reason number one. Reason number two, because the man is the leader by creation. That is not cultural. It wasn't that Paul was some kind of male chauvinist. And he decided, you know what, I'm going to throw this in there just to give women a bad day. That isn't it. What he said was, in the beginning, what? God created man and woman, right? He created them in his image and likeness. Now, the question is this. For those of you that have been in my leadership class, who does he create first? He creates Adam first as the leader. He creates Adam as the one who is to lead. It is a creation order. It is not a cultural principle. It's what creation said. And so because of creation, he does this. And then the last reason that he gives is is he says it is because it is reflective of what? It is reflective of the church and Jesus. This is how the church is supposed to respond to Jesus. Here's the thing. We must realize that we are all playing a role, and wives must realize that they are playing a role in the redemption story that is being played out before their peers. And so as you play your role as a woman, and it may seem uncomfortable, and ladies, just know this. I'm about to talk to your husbands. Amen. All right. But I can't pass you up because, you know, and I think that that may be the reason why God did that is because it is real easy, especially for me as a man who grew up in a house that had men that were in the house that were by far, and I, let, let me say this before I even say this next thing, I love my uncles, I love my grandfather who passed away, I love the men that God had in my life, but I would tell you and I would tell them the same thing, they were poor examples of what a man of God would be because they weren't Christians. They didn't live for the glory and honor of Jesus. They had certain mindsets that weren't right. And so the point of it is, is that for a guy like me that didn't have really good examples of what a man was supposed to be, then guess what I would do? I can get real hard on men real quick. I can be real tough on men real quick. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe that's why the Lord inspired that. Like, okay, you got to talk to the women about their things because I could just go on and on. And as you'll see, he goes on and on about the men's things as well. But we all have this role, and so women are playing their part in this role. It's about something bigger than you. It is about something bigger than your marriage. It is about the gospel that is being proclaimed to a world that is looking at your marriage. Amen? See, here's the thing, is that image bearing, which is what we do in our marriages, requires husbands and wives to assume their roles in marriage to ensure the correct representation of marriage is being made. I want to give you one example. In this, in, 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 in one, one, somebody that I love very, very dearly, they told me that they, you know, I was telling them that, you know, they, they, um, they were considering, they were not considering getting married. And I'm like, man, you've been with this guy for such a long time and yada, yada, yada. And so we went through the conversation and she was like, I don't believe in marriage. I'm like, well, you live with him. You're playing house. Oh, but I don't believe in marriage. Marriage messes things up. Wait a second. Marriage messes stuff up. 
And as we continue in our dialogue, you know, the whole point was, well, you know what? I, you know, I've, I, all the people that I've seen married in my life, their marriages don't work. And she threw an accept in there, which I was, I was grateful for. She said, except you and your wife. Except you and your wife. And I was like, well, praise God for that. And my, my, my heart for her was that, man, at least she has one example of what marriage should look like. And there's more. I'm not the only one by far. I know better than that. But at least one. And can I tell you something? You and your marriage, you might be the at least one that someone needs to see. And that way they can see the picture of Christ in his church. They can see the picture of what marriage is supposed to be like. And it's not easy by far, but we all have to play our role. The second role is this. Say role two. Husbands, love just as. Say just as. It doesn't say as to. Now, the, the, the words change here. He says, husbands love just as Christ. Husbands love just as Christ. The call for husbands to love just as Christ is extremely challenging. And listen, we read the scriptures together. We're going to read a little bit more here. But look at this. Verse 22, we'll just run through that real quick. It says, wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord, right? It's to the Lord, for the husband is the head. He's the head as, uh, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wife be to their own husband and everything. And so we went through those things here. Now let's look at husbands. It says, husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as. Say that with me, just as. I want you to get that, right? That, that needs to like resonate inside of you. Because he says there, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Now look, if he would have just paused there and just been like, hey, the same way Christ loved the church, and then we move on to like, um, you know, chapter 6, verse 1, that would have been amazing. But he doesn't do that. He goes on to point out some things that for me, I don't know about any other man in this place, but this is, this, this like takes this to another level because here's the deal that I want you to get. It is that we are not called just to submit. We are called to die. So you got all these young men, they want to get married. Yes, they want to get married. Time out. You realize, you know, because you think, well, I'm going to get married. I'm going to get I'm going to get married. It's going to be like, I'm going to get, and you know, you go down the list, right? Marriage is great. I remember, I, mean, I was, I was a young kid. And the only thing that I, that I, I can, I, one thing I can tell you is that as a young kid, even though I was a heathen and I didn't walk with Jesus, my mother instilled one thing in me that was, I mean, she instilled a lot of good things in me. Obviously I told you about folding clothes. That was a great thing. But one, it was something else that my mother instilled in me that was really good from a young age is that you respect women. So I was young and I was like, man, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking about marriage when other people weren't thinking about anything like that. I mean, mind you, I got married and I was 20 years old. I turned 21 on my honeymoon. I wasn't even legal, glory to God. I'm just saying. See, my wife walked in just for that moment right there, glory to his name. Turn 21. So a young man, I, I, had that, I had that understanding. But you see, we get this mindset. Like, yeah, marriage is going to be this and marriage is going to Listen, young man, marriage is your call to die. Now let's sign up for some premarital counseling. Let's talk about that. I know you're excited. You're like, yes, I want to get married now. Listen, the reality is, if you are going to love anyone the way that Jesus did, understand the greatest staple in his life is that he died. He died for a bride. And so, ladies, I'm going to tell you this. This is what I think. I think you got off the hook easy. I wish he would have said, men, submit to your wives. Women, die. I wish he would have said that. I would have been like, praise God. But what do you want, baby? Can I pray for you? Can I cook your dinner? What do you, I learned to fold clothes the way you want to, amen? Right? What, what, what do you want? I just, I mean, it's going to be, the, the point is, one of us is called to literally imitate Jesus in dying. You don't believe me? All right, let's look at the text. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. A.K.A. he died. Also known as the passion of the Christ. 
also known as the crucifixion. He died. He gave himself for her. And so when I say this is extremely challenging, I say it's extremely challenging, but I would say it's almost terrifying. Like I have to imitate Jesus on this level. That's a big deal. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on to make sure that we understand what this looks like. He says there's a reason for this death, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. So that means to set her apart, to cleanse her, make her holy with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. And so Jesus didn't go and find some amazing, beautiful bride. He found someone who was dirty. He found someone who was not set apart. He found someone who was not glorious. I'm just saying. And this is what he died for, right? He didn't die in vain. I know, I know you wanted to hear you were cute. I know you wanted to hear that you, you attracted Jesus because you were so great. That isn't what happened, church. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't draw him because we had the fragrance. We stunk. There was a fragrance, all right. Not the one that you wanted to be around. <laughs> And so Jesus comes, he does this, he dies for that, and he goes on to say this. He says, so that she, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Understand, Jesus died for what? His bride. He died for his body. He loves his body. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. He tells the husbands, and I've said this before and I want to repeat it because every time I preach from this text, I think it's so important to, to make it this simple because dying is hard enough. But what does it really look like? What is he really saying? He's saying that a man should love his wife in three ways. The first way is that he should love his wife in a sacrificial way. Say sacrificial way. The first thing is that a husband is to love his wife in a sacrificial way. What does that mean? What that means is I no longer live for myself. I no longer live for my vision, for just my goals, for just my desires. I, 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 I may not be able, let's paint the picture, I may not be able to participate in the same activities I was participating in prior to getting married. Are you hearing me? I may not be able to do stuff. Pastor Aldo, he talked about, you were talking about being a gamer last week, weren't you? That, that, that was Pastor Aldo last week. I remember one day we had, because we have, we have games. I've never, I, when I was a kid, I, this is sincere, not trying to be funny. When I was a kid, I used to like to play games, like those video games. And then I don't know what happened. I just stopped playing those games. And so even when Alexis was younger, you know, I, and my son is just too energetic. I don't think he's going to be into those games. He wants to run everywhere. And so... Ultimately, what happened is we have these games in the room, and I remember they came to the house, and we got like four remotes, and we were sitting down there, and I, yo, we were going to like new levels. It was like level after level after level. You and Pastor Chad were there, right? It was, it was, it was a pretty fun time. These guys are gamers. I was not. Hello. And so the thing is, you have guys, right? You know, they, they, they're what? They're, they're into all of their hobbies. They're into all of their things that they like to do. Listen, dying means you may not be able to do all of those things anymore. And if you try, listen, and, and just for some of us that have tried to bring some of those things into our marriage, and our wife has half a mouth, and I'm just saying half a mouth because you don't need a whole one for this. You, you bring those things into the marriage, and all of a sudden you find her with that little attitude, and you're like, what's up? And they're like, well, what's up is... See, you know what I learned when I came into marriage? I learned that, see, I'm the oldest of six, and growing up, I was always making sacrifices. And so you know what I thought in my marriage? I thought it was all about me. When I came into my marriage, I was like, man, I am selfish. I learned all of my self-centered ways, and I'm still repenting of them. Hello. I wish I could get up here and say that I've arrived and I'm no longer dealing with selfish things. And, but the fact of the matter is, I'm just letting you know that that's what I've learned. So the point is, the first thing is that a husband's love must be sacrificial. The second thing is, say this with me, a husband's love must be sanctifying. 
A husband's love must be sanctifying. Jesus gave himself to do what? To purify, to set apart. In other words, his love sets us apart. Well, you know, you say things like, there is no love like the love of Jesus. It's true. There is no love like the love of Jesus. No love. His love is sanctifying. His love makes us holy. And listen, I know that there's debates and some people think, well, hey, man, everybody else, you know, they deal with their own salvation. Husband, you deal with your salvation. Wife, you deal with your salvation. That is unbiblical. That is not truth. Husbands are called to make disciples. Husbands are called to do what? They are called to speak the word of God into their lives. According to many writers, we are the what? The prophet, priest, and king of our home. Well, you know what? Many of us are cool being the king because we get to come home. We have our throne. But what about being the prophet? What about being the one that's digging into the word of God, that is in the face of God, that is crying out to the Lord, that when your wife is experiencing difficulty, hardship in her life, you are there to speak God's word into her life? What about when your wife is not living righteously and not living holy? Are you there to bring correction and direction, or are you just depending on her holiness? you depending on her spirituality? What about being that priest for your home? I said this the other day, Ms. Mabel, I have, her on, I have her on tape, you know, or, you know, it's recorded. She said it. I asked, how many men or how many, how many prayer um, ministries have you seen men being leaders of? She was like, none. Today's her birthday, by the way. Y'all make sure you tell her happy birthday. Happy birthday. 91, right? I would never, and generally I wouldn't do that, but that's, that, that, that's, that's awesome to be able to get to that age. So she's a little bit older than most of us in here, and she's been around church for a long time, and she didn't ever see that very much, men being leaders of prayer ministries. I don't say that to to belittle you, my brothers. I say that to challenge your heart. Because let me ask you this. How much time do you spend as that intercessor, that priest for your family? How much time do you spend crying out for your wife? Do you even know the needs of your wife? Do you even know what your wife battles with? Do you even know what she's struggling with? Do you know what she's facing in her life? I'm just saying, do you know those things? We're talking about husband and wife. Let's not get into the list of our children. But the reality is we're called to be not just the king of our home, but the priest and the prophet of our home as well. And so our love should be what? It should be sacrificial. It should be sanctifying. And then the last thing is it should be satisfying. Say that with me. A man's love should be satisfying. He says this. He says that we we, we love our wives as we love our own bodies. He says no one's ever hated themselves, right? That's what he says. See, no man in here is like beating himself up, right? I mean, no man is doing that. You know, no man is, 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 is not caring about himself. No man is walking around not eating. You know, he may not be eating the best, but he's going to eat something. I'm just saying. He may not know how to cook, but the point is he's going to take care of himself. That, that's what is going to occur, and it's the same thing. But he says this. He says that Jesus does what? Jesus nourishes and cherishes who? Us. He knows what our needs are. He meets those needs. He ministers to those needs. And so a man's love is supposed to be all of those things. It's supposed to be sacrificial for sure. It is also supposed to be sanctifying, but it should also be satisfying. There's a couple of books that I would suggest that you read. One of them is called His Needs, Her Needs. It's probably one of the best books that I've ever read that deals with the practical emotional needs in marriage. Now, let me warn you up front. I think it mentions maybe God in the book one time. It's not a biblically-based book. It's, it's, it's a book that's written by a guy who's been dealing with marriages, and what he learned was through all of his years in marriage counseling, he was seeing marriages that were coming to him, and what was happening was he was teaching them all the stuff he learned in school, how to communicate better, how to do this better, how to do that. He was teaching them all of that stuff, and he was noticing people were still ending up in divorce. And then what he did was <clears throat> he decided to ask some questions and found out what the basic needs were. And what he realized is this is the problem, is that typically, not in every situation, but typically, man's number one emotional need is like the woman's number five. And so what is happening in our marriages many times is that a man is thinking about one thing, Hey, babe, I love you. Let me show you. Let me show you. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, I love you too. Can we just snuggle? 
Y'all had the S right, but not the rest, right? <laughs> I'm just saying. And then you have, you know, a wife who she wants certain things from a husband and he's not emotionally entertained by that stuff. He's not emotionally, you know, moved by those things. And so what do you have to do? You have to talk. You have to communicate. You have to learn. And so since I'm talking to the husband, you have to learn what your wife's needs are so that way your love to her is satisfying so that way someone else doesn't come by trying to satisfy your wife. I'm just saying it happens. And so it's important for us to make sure. And if you want to be real spiritual, there's another book. It's called The Five Love Languages. That one's biblically based. If you're opposed to reading books that are not biblical, I know I have some holy folks in here. Go read The Five Love Languages, and you'll learn about those needs that are there. You'll learn about those emotional needs. And what you can do is you can go ahead and become a man that loves your wife in a satisfying way. Amen? As husbands play the role of Christ-like lover-leader, God is honored, Jesus is imitated, and the Holy Spirit is manifested more fully in our marriages and in our witness to the world. See, when I decide that I'm going to love my wife in a, in, a, in a sacrificial way, in a sanctifying way, and in a satisfying way, when I decide that I'm going to follow the example of Jesus and I begin to imitate him, I honor God. But see, then the Spirit of God begins to move in my marriage in a dimension and does things. And then when I begin to witness, God's presence begins to manifest, not because my marriage is perfect, but because I am walking in true submission to his will and imitating him. The third thing, repeat after me. Say, one model, marriage, reflects, reflects Christ and his church. One model, marriage reflects Christ and his church. Marriage is a continual gospel picture. And we'll just read the rest of the verse here. He says this in verse 31. He says, we'll start from verse 31. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now notice verse 30. He says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And so what he's saying is, he's saying that we are members of Jesus. And then he's going on and he's saying, and for this reason, a man will leave his father. Father's mother. So, because we are one with Christ as his body, as a reflection of that, what are we doing? We leave our mother and our father, and then we become one with our spouse. But then he goes on in verse 32, and he says this. He says, this is a great mystery. How it is that a man and a woman become one, that's a great mystery. How? By coming together in, in a sexual way inside a marriage, which is where that is supposed to happen, how they become one in emotion, they become one. They, they become one. That, that, that's a mystery. But an even greater mystery is what he says is this. He says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so if this is a great mystery, the way that a man and a woman come together and they become one, their souls are tied together, how much greater of a mystery is there when it comes to Christ and his church? Marriage is a continual gospel picture, and the enemy will do all he can to destroy, distort, and redefine what God calls marriage. Please understand this. The enemy wants to destroy marriages. He wants to destroy. He wants those people like the person that I told you about who says marriage is a bad thing. The moment you say, I do, you jinx your relationship. The moment that I make a commitment in my relationship, now I bring some kind of curse or something like that. The total opposite is true. And so the enemy wants to destroy. He wants to redefine. He wants to do all kinds of stuff. And what we must realize is that the foundation of a strong church is found in the first church. The foundation of a strong church is found in the first church. So you think, about, think, think for a moment with me. When you think about the first church, where was that at? The first church was in the Garden of Eden, and the first two members of the church were Adam and Eve. They were the first people to hear the word of God. They were the first people to look upon the splendor and the majesty of God, speaking of human beings here. They were the first ones to be in a relationship with God. Is that not what we are supposed to do as the church? We're supposed to hear God's word. We're supposed to look upon his majesty. And what God does, he shows us the foundation for the church is an original creation. And it is what? Husband and wife. 
Husband and wife together worshiping God, together doing what? Honoring God, together um, raising children for the glory and honor of God, together doing those. That is the first church, and I've said this before, that strong marriages do what? They create strong families, and strong families produce what? Strong churches. And so what we know is that if we can have our marriages in order and we realize that we are image bearers in our marriages, then we will hopefully will act a little bit different in our marriages. The battle for marriage, and I, I, think I, would be, I, I think I would be a coward to be completely honest with you if I didn't mention something about this, but the battle for marriage is not the continuation of tradition, which can be good or bad. It's not the denial of progressive thinking, which can also be good or bad, but it is the preservation of biblical marriage defined by God at creation throughout Scripture and exemplified by Jesus and the church, which depicts the beauty of the gospel. We would be blind and we would be ignorant to think that there is not some kind of battle, that there is not some kind of agenda that is trying to uproot what, what, what biblical marriage is. Please understand this. I understand in the social context we have to call it traditional marriage, but I need you as a Christian to realize you are not fighting for a tradition. You are fighting for a biblical standard that is there. When you are in a conversation, you are, we, we talked about this when I, when I preached in the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1. Don't cower in the face of popular opinion or popular demands. Don't be like, well, that's okay. Those things that are not what God calls marriage are not okay. If it is not a man and a woman in a committed relationship, it is not marriage. Are you hearing me? This is what the Bible teaches. And so listen, I'm, not I'm preaching right now. I'm not going to get up on a street corner and be like, hey, man, I'm not going to do that. I'm talking about in general in conversation. You don't have to go out of your way to offend people. Trust me, opportunities will arise. You don't have to go out of your way to try to prove a point to people. You don't have to go out of your way to talk about your agenda. Listen, when the conversation comes up, don't be a coward. When the conversation comes up, know what the scriptures teach, but realize something is bigger here. This is not simply, you know, some agenda that is there socially. There is an adversary called the devil that wants to destroy marriage. Why does he want to destroy marriage? Because if he can destroy marriage, he distorts a gospel picture. Are you hearing me, church? It is about the gospel. Listen, I've said this before. The devil doesn't care about the smile on your face. He doesn't care about the size of your house. He doesn't care about the car you drive. Listen, he cares about the gospel not being preached. He doesn't care about anything else because there is one thing that saves people, and it is the gospel. There is one thing that delivers people. It is the gospel. And so what needs to be sure in our hearts is that we are out there and that we live our marriages in a way. Let me tell you something. Don't go ahead and get on some bandwagon. Live your marriage in a way that honors God. Husbands, lead. Wives, submit. Walk together in unity and make sure that your marriage reflects the glory of the gospel. That is the first place that we begin to redeem, that we begin to, that, that we begin to manifest the real definition of marriage. It's not about getting on a bullhorn and being as loud as you can. Listen, go vote. Make sure you make your voice heard. But listen, let the greater voice be heard, and that is the voice of God Almighty. And that voice is heard greatest when you are living before him in humility and surrender and obedience to his word. Then his spirit moves and convicts the hearts of men. And shows them the truths of the scriptures. And so my closing question for you is this. Or let me say this and then I'll close. An understanding of the gospel is vital for a God-honoring, Christ-centered, image-bearing marriage to be consistently experienced and expressed. When we understand this gospel, which is what? Is that God in his holiness creates man in his likeness. Man rebels against God, making all men sinful. All of us in this place are sinful by nature, by birth. And then what happens is God comes because he doesn't want man to be separated from him relationally on earth or for eternity in hell. And so what he does is he sends his son to die for a bride. He sends his son to die for a bride, to give his life so that way we could have a new name, so that way we can be adopted into a family, so that way we can be given new life. 
That's what he does. And when I understand that I am a, a person who, is, who needs the gospel in my life, when I realize my dependence on this gospel, you know what I do? I begin to be the husband that God wants me to be, not the husband that I want to be. You know what will happen to you wives when you really grasp the fullness of this gospel? You will begin to become that wife that God wants you to be and not the wife that you want to be. God wants us to play our role. And when I say play our role, I don't mean that lightly. What I mean is that we really consider what the scriptures teach, that we really look at this as a script for life and that we live out what God communicates. My question is this, how is your role play going in your marriage? Are you walking worthy in your marriage? Are you walking worthy as a husband? Are you walking worthy as a wife? I quote Lecrae, he said something a couple of weeks ago. He, he tweeted this, I guess. He said, live like someone died for you. So my question is, are you living like someone died for you? Stand to your feet, bow your heads with me, and let's pray together. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, we thank you so very much for the greatness of your grace today. God, we honor you, we praise you, we worship you. God, we adore you for all that you are, God, for all that you have done in us, Lord Jesus. And Father, today, even as I have communicated the truth of your word, Father, regarding marriages, Lord God, look upon us. Above everything, let us realize, let us soak in the reality that you died for us, God. That you died to purchase us. That you died to set us apart. That you died to sanctify us. That you died to cleanse us, to remove the spots, to remove the wrinkles, to remove the blemishes. Lord God, you died to love us and show us that love that you have for us, God. Father, I pray that we as men in this place, oh, Father God, that we would be men that are overwhelmed by the truths of the gospel, that we would be men that are overwhelmed by the reality of who you are, and God, that you fill our hearts with a reverence and a fear of you, God, and a, a trust and a hope in who you are, and that we as men would love our wives in ways that image and reflect you, Jesus. Father, forgive us. And give our wives' hearts to forgive us, God, and to trust again, my Lord. Father, I pray for the wives, my God, that they would be able to forgive, that they would be able to submit, Lord God, not because of perfection or, or because of a, a response that a husband makes, but that they would respond to your word, God. Father, forgive us as couples for distorting the image of the gospel. Forgive us for not playing our roles, God, and help us to live for the glory and the honor of Jesus in our marriages, God. And I pray for those in this place, Lord God, that are single and seeking, my God, that are single and hopeful. Lord Jesus, I just pray, whether they are male or female, that they would understand the seriousness of marriage, God, and that they would trust you, that they would allow you to work in them, that they would be able to be the husband or the wife that you called them to be, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that our marriages would reflect you more faithfully. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.